This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, 1959 Ditloff Pass Incident. That's correct, we're talking about the 1959 Ditloff Pass Incident. If you're not familiar with this, you're going to want to tune in because this definitely qualifies as high strangeness. Now, I found this article on Smart News, and uh, specifically the website is smithsonianmag.com. It appears to be written by Melon Solly, smithsonianmag.com, January 29th, 2021. And I'll put a link at the website, ufowarning.com. Now, the article begins, it says, in February 1959, university student Mikhail Sheravan hoping I pronounced that correctly, made an unexpected discovery on the slopes of the Ural Mountains. Dispatched as a member of a search party investigating a group of nine experienced hikers' disappearance, Sheravan and his fellow rescuers spotted the corner of a tent peeking out beneath the snow, as he told BBC News Lucy Ash in 2019. Inside they found supplies, including a flask of vodka, a map, and a plate of sallow, it's white pork fat, all seemingly abandoned without warning. A slice in the side of the tent suggested that someone had used a knife to carve out an escape route from within, while footprints leading away from the shelter indicate that some of the mountaineers had ventured out in sub-zero temperatures barefoot or with only a single boot and socks. Perplexed, the search party decided to toast to the missing group's safety, with the flask found in their tent. Well, this is what people do. People, when they come upon disasters, oftentimes don't want to look at the obvious thing that happened, but we're always hoping for the best outcome. Now, the article says, quote, We shared the vodka out between us. There were 11 of us, including the guides, Shreva recalled. We were about to drink it when one guy turned to me and said, Best not drink to their health, but to their eternal peace. Over the next several months, rescuers recovered all nine hikers' bodies. Per BBC News, two of the men were found barefoot and clad only in their underwear, while the majority of the group appeared to have died of hypothermia. At least four had sustained horrific and inexplicable injuries, including a fractured skull, broken ribs, and a gaping gash to the head. One woman, 20-year-old Lydamila Dub. Dubina Nina, was missing both her eyeballs and her tongue. The wounds, said a doctor who examined the bodies, were equal to the effect of a car crash, according to the documents later obtained by St. Petersburg's Times. Now that's going to be important to think about this later. What looks like it might have been animal predation or some type of assault was actually a, probably from an impact wound. Now, if you go to the article, you'll see the pictures of these nine uh, poor lost souls that were killed in this uh, tragic situation at Ditloff Pass. The article goes on and says, Today, the so-called Ditloff Pass incident, named after the group's leader, 23-year-old Igor Ditloff, is one of Russia's most enduring mysteries. Spawning conspiracy theories is varied as a military cover-up, UFO sighting, and an 
<clears throat> and an abominable snowman attack, radiation fallout from secret weapons tests, and a clash with the indigenous Mansi people. But as Robin George Anders reports for National Geographic, new research published in the journal Communications Earth and Environment points toward a more sensible explanation. Drawing on advanced computer modeling, deposit that an unusually timed avalanche sealed the hiker's fate. Now, it looks like after all these years, this of course happened back in 1959, they've been able to finally come up with enough computer computational power to put the theory out there that what actually killed these poor people was an avalanche. And the wounds that we see were actually impact wounds from that avalanche. It says, We do not claim to have solved the Dipmap Pass mystery, as no one survived to tell their story, lead author John Johan Guam, head of the Snow and Avalanche Simulation Laboratory of the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, tells Life Science Brandon Spector. But we show the plausibility of the avalanche hypothesis for the first time. In 2019, Russian authorities announced plans to revisit the incident, which they attributed not to a crime, but to an avalanche, a snow slab, or a hurricane. So we can see that the Russians have been looking at this thing as a natural disaster, not as, say, a paranormal event. The following year, the inquiry penned the hikers' deaths on a combination of an avalanche and poor visibility, as the state-owned RIA News Agency reported in July 2020. The official findings suggested that a torrent of snow slabs, or blocky chunks, surprised the sleeping victims and pushed them to seek shelter at a nearby ridge. Unable to see more than 50 feet ahead, the hikers froze to death as they attempted to make their way back to their tent. Given the official findings, lack of key scientific, scientific details, as well as the Russian government's notorious lack of transparency. However, this explanation failed to quell the public's curiosity per National Geographic. Critics of the slab avalanche theory cite four main counter-arguments, says Guam to Life Science. The lack of physical traces of an avalanche found by rescuers, the more than nine-hour gap between the hikers building their camp, a process that required cutting into the mountain to form a barrier against the wind, and their panicked departure. The shallow slope of the campsite and the traumatic injuries sustained by the group. Asphyxiation is a more common cause of death for avalanche victims. So you can see here where some of the people are saying, well, this couldn't have been an avalanche because of the type of wounds sustained. Typically, if a person is buried in an avalanche, they'd have asphyxiation. But that's not what they're... I think it's important to remember here, though, and we'll point out that the avalanches that we're talking about here, that that's theorized that killed these folks at Ditmouth Pass, is basically blocks of ice coming down on you. It would be like a, it would be like being in multiple car wrecks, as opposed to a big pile of fluffy snow, snow uh, just burying you 20 feet deep. It goes on. It says. Guam and co-author Alexander M. Persson, a geotechnical engineer at ETH Zurich used historical records to create the mountain's envir environment on the night of the Ditloff incident and attempted to address these seeming inconsistencies. Then the scientists write in the study, they simulated a slab avalanche, drawing on snow friction data and local topography, which revealed that the slope wasn't actually as shallow as it had seemed, to prove that a small slow slide could have swept through the area while leaving few traces behind. Now, I like this notion that they're going back and they're uh, trying to historically reconstruct the scene of the accident. And they're applying the scientific method. 
They're using math to solve the problem. And so many times when we see paranormal investigations, uh, it just comes down to, well, this is one person's opinion. Or maybe we have eyewitness accounts, but we don't, we don't uh, have accurate, clear measurements of how things uh, showed up at the scene. That's what I like so much about uh, the old History Channel uh, series that was on a few years ago, back about 10, 12 years ago, the UFO Hunters. They would go out and they would uh, they would have a video, and then they would take the video to the lab, and they would just go through step by step and scientifically analyze the evidence. And that's what I see happening here with these folks. They're trying to scientifically analyze the evidence that they have. And what evidence they don't have, they had to reconstruct based on their weather reports from the time. Now it says the authors theorize the catabotic winds or fast flowing funnels of air propelled by the forces of gravity transported snow down the mountain to the campsite. It was like somebody coming it was like somebody coming and shoveling the snow from one place and putting it on the slope above the tent person explains to new scientist Charles. Eventually, the accumulating snow became too heavy for the slope of support. Now, you probably know that, uh, as, a, as a point out here later in the article, um, when you get to the point where you're at a 30-degree angle, that's when the slide starts. And I think uh, I was reading somewhere where the pyramids, the Great Pyramids in Egypt, that they started out building the step pyramids, and but then we see the pyramids evolve to a shape where they're approximately at a 30 degree angle and it turns out if you pour sand in a pile it will slope at a natural 30 degree angle so it seems like what happened was they were on this hillside camping and they cut into the hill and so they actually uh, put themselves in grave danger because they created a situation or they were in a situation where they were beyond that point of a 30 degree angle so they were at a very likely place for a snow slide or avalanche to occur, because that's a natural um, tendency of the physics, is for things to assume a 30-degree angle. It says, it was like somebody coming and shoveling the snow from one place and putting it on the slope above the tent. Eventually, the accumulating snow became too heavy for the slope to support. So you see, that slope is above 30 degrees. It's going to slide down. If they, didn't make, if they hadn't made a cut in the slope, nothing would have happened. Wow, if they hadn't made a cut in the slope, nothing would have happened. If they would have just pitched their tent there and not gotten fancy, they would have been fine. But by cutting into the slope, they altered the natural state of things, and then they basically created a man-made avalanche. Isn't that scary? So many times it seems like we think we're doing the right thing in life, but maybe the thing that we're doing that we think is helping is not, it's not actually helping at all. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we have to remember these folks were they were they were camping in extreme conditions. Extreme cold. Extreme snow. If they hadn't made a cut in the slope, nothing would have happened, says Persian in the statement. But a certain but at a certain point a crack would have formed and propagated, causing the snow slab to release. The researchers unraveled the final piece of the puzzle, the hikers' unexplained injuries, with the help of a surprising source. Disney's 2000, 
2013 film Frozen. According to National Geographic, Guam was so impressed by the movie's depiction of snow that he asked its creators to share that he asked his creators to share the animation code with him. This simulation tool, coupled with the data from the cadaver test conducted by General Motors in the 1970s to determine what happened to the human body when struck at different speeds, enabled the pair to show that the heavy blocks of solid snow could have landed on the hikers as they slept, crushing their bones and causing injuries not typically associated with avalanches. If this was the case, the pair pauses that those who had those who those who had sustained less serious blows likely dragged their injured companions out of the tent in the hopes of saving their lives. Now I'm going through this and the and the webpage is just going completely spasmodic on me. So if I if I pause here and there it's because I'm trying to catch up with the text. It says Jim McQueen, a geohazards expert at Durham University in England who wasn't involved in the study, tells National Geographic that the slabs of snow would have had to be incredibly stiff and moving at a significant speed to inflict such violent injuries. Well, let's stop and think about it. You know, if a gallon of water, if a gallon of water weighs, what, 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 is it four pounds or eight pounds? I mean, it's a few pounds, right? Well, if a gallon of water weighs that much, and if you've ever been swimming in a river, you know the force of just, you get into a couple of feet of water, Two or three feet of water in, in a slow-moving current can produce a tremendous amount of force and actually become quite dangerous. So it's not hard for me to imagine that a small block or slab of ice would be quite heavy, maybe hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of pounds, and it wouldn't have to move that fast or that far in order for it to, cut, to, to cause a lot of injury. It would be like having a log rollover on a person. So speaking with new scientists, McClellan adds that the research doesn't explain why these people, after being hit by an avalanche, ran off without their clothes on into the snow. Well, that's kind of silly. Now, we know this probably happened at night. They were sleeping, okay? Their clothes were probably wet. They took them off, and they're sleeping there in that tent, piled all in together, probably in their long underwear, is my guess. So, it's almost like, it's like, no matter what the theory is, no matter how much sense it makes, somebody has to take on the role of debunker. And he continues, if you're in that type of harsh environment, it's suicide to leave shelter without your clothes on. Well, what if you're under six feet of snow? And for people to do that, they must have been terrified by something. <clears throat> I assume that one of the most likely things is that one of them went crazy for some reason. I can't understand why else they would have behaved in that way unless they were trying to flee from someone who's been tracking them. Well, I see right now this argument to me has made a couple of false assumptions. They assume someone went crazy. Now, come on. How often does someone just randomly go crazy on a camping trip? I know it probably happens. I know there are people out there with mental health issues that maybe they aren't treated. But let's be honest. These were people that knew each other. They were camping together. They were doing extreme cold weather camping. doesn't seem like the likelihood here is that one of the people went crazy and had a psychotic episode and decided to kill the other eight people. That just seems pretty stupid to me. And I... I really find it a little uh, concerning this guy would want to just completely discount all of the work that these folks have gone into to create this um, possible theory of the avalanche, which does make perfect sense to me, and just say, well, they were running from somebody. Well, we know that the accident happened at night, the incident happened at night, because they'd already dug this hole this, into the snow on the side of this hill, 
and put their tent there for whatever reason. That's how they decided to do it. So they put themselves into a precarious situation to begin with. Now, they talk about how they laid their skis. They were cross-country skiing. They laid their skis down and then laid their blankets over top of them and then and then laid down and piled the blankets, more blankets on top of them. It makes sense that they weren't, they weren't wearing the same snow-covered clothes. They weren't sleeping in those clothes. They were sleeping in some kind of, like I said, night clothes, long underwear, thermals, whatever. So when this incident happened, suddenly they went from being in this nice cozy tent to being... Uh, just inundated with snow, or maybe maybe it began to rumble, and they felt they felt like the avalanche was starting, and they were trying to get out of the avalanche and on top of the snow, up out of this hole that they were in. Basically, it looks like they'd cut a hole in the snow and pitched their tent down in there, which to me seemed like a very unsafe thing to do, especially on the side of a hill. You know, sometimes people think that they know more than they know. And remember, this is Soviet Union, post-World War II, and uh, maybe they should have taken some lessons from the locals about how they went camping. There were local indigenous people in that area. At first, the Russians, the Russians kind of tried to throw a little shade on these folks, like, hey, maybe they were the ones that committed this heinous murder against these Caucasian folks, because the, the indigenous people, I think, were more, more likely related to, say, Asiatic folks or, or Eskimo or Native American, however you want to put it. Here again, though, it seems like we still have this tendency to want to debunk something that a theory that actually, in my mind, conforms closer to the scientific method than anything we've come across so far. Now, it says Guam, on the other hand, views the situation rather differently. As he tells Life Science, when the hikers decided to go to the forest, they took care of their injured friends. No one was left behind. I think it, I think it is a great story of courage and friendship in the face of a brutal force of nature. So what happened was, whatever happened, whether this was um, an avalanche, and I, and I think it certainly was, if you go if you go to the uh, webpage ufowarning.com and link onto this article, I'll have the link posted there, and it has a very uh, detailed diagram, and it shows how <laughs> they came along, and for whatever, to me it's inexplicable, they decided, hey, this is where we're going to camp our tent. So they literally just carved this L-shaped wedge into the side of the hill. So you have you have this tent, looks like it's probably six, seven foot tall. And on the one side, so you're looking at it, on on the slope side slopes down to it, here's this big layer of snow and ice, and you've just cut a wall into it, and oh here's a nice smooth place to build my tent. What did they do? They cut a hole in that in that potential avalanche zone. And what that's done is it has literally taken it's like it's like if you had an arch and you took out one of the keystone pieces. Well the arch is going to collapse. Well this didn't collapse immediately because there a certain amount of tension from the ice itself had obviously held it together. But it's pretty clear to me. They cut this they cut this wedge shape into the side of the hill. Okay, so now we have this big pile of snow that's uphill from us. And we have our tent here. And what's going to happen? You've taken away the support structure. So over the course of about nine hours, it looks like, with more snow and, and wind moving in, eventually this big, giant, probably, I mean a multi, multi-ton slab of ice, just slides right down the 
hillside. And what's in its way? Well, your tent's in its way, the tent that you just cut into the side of this giant slab of ice. When you look at this, when you look at this diagram and they show what they did, to my mind, I'm thinking, why in the world would you do this? I mean, this is just the dumbest thing a person could ever do, in my opinion, because you put yourself in an avalanche zone. And like they said, maybe they took a first look at it because of the way the snow had piled up. It was a deceptive. They thought that they had plenty. The slope was, was gradual enough that it wouldn't slide. But when you get right down to it, the underlying uh, topography of the ground was way past 30 degrees. So this was an avalanche-prone area. And when you cut a wedge into this big slab of ice, well, it's going to do what it's going to do. It's going to slide downhill. That's the natural thing for this to do. And it took a little while. They cut this wedge in. They put their tent in. And over the course of about nine hours, this thing just slid right over the top of them. Probably what happened was that it looks like there was snow and then ice on top looks like probably what happens, some, some people were like right in the impact zone. You know, you can have four or five people in one car and have a terrible car wreck. One person might walk away and the other person might end up dead. Might depend if they had, they had their seatbelts on. Might depend upon where they were at in the car. Might depend upon, you know, what kind of impact they received. And it seems like a couple of people who had the really bad injuries with their broken bones, but this one poor soul, she had her eyes knocked out. Well, it sounds terrible. It sounds impossible. But let me tell you something. When People sustain high-impact injuries. They fall off a building. They get hit in a car accident. Those kinds of terrible things do happen. The human body does just seem to come apart. And that's what seems to have happened here. And then it looks like probably what happened then over the course of the next few seconds or minutes, whatever, the people that were maybe shielded by those first victims cut their way out of the tent. They got their friends out of there. But their supplies, everything else had been buried in so much snow that they weren't able to get back and retrieve the things they needed, and they literally froze to death, died of this exposure, before they were able to um, recover enough enough supplies to survive the climate. And, you know, I think what I see when I look at this article of Ditloff Pass, it says here, at the end, it says, and I'll finish up, it says, Jim McClanahan, a geohazard expert at Durham University in England who wasn't involved in the study tells Nature the slabs of snow would have been incredibly stiff and moving at a significant speed to inflect such a response. And then it goes on, he says, um, he talks about, he, they talks about um, how the people reacted. Well, here's the thing, the people, what I see happening here is I see a group of people from one environment, a group of people from uh, what at the time was a modern environment there in the Soviet Union, going into this really um, outback area, a very, um, basically a place that had been inhabited by indigenous people for many, many years, and trying to apply their techniques of survival to a situation which would, have been, which would have been much better served if they would have taken the time to examine how the people that live there survived that situation. I don't think you would have saw those indigenous people ever cutting a, a wedge into the side of an avalanche-prone uh, pile of snow and then basically pitching their tent right there in front of that pile of snow. I also see what I see from this is 
the description of the of the uh, really bad injuries and what people found when they got there and their expectations played a lot into what they thought might have happened, the cause and effect. But when we go back and we look at this thing and we take and we subject it to the scientific method and we really apply the math to it, and you look at the video here and it's really it's uh, dramatic. It's uh, they got a video that goes along with this and it's a little disturbing, but it shows you exactly how these people could have sustained these kinds of injuries. And you have to ask yourself, my, why would you put yourself in that in that sort of a situation where you were just in such a present danger? I mean, basically, they just found a big chunk of ice that was ready to fall down. They made it even more unstable by cutting a hole in the side of it and then pitching their, tree, pitching their tent in front of it. It's like, it's like parking a truck on the side of a hill, okay, releasing the parking brake, and then camping behind it and waiting for all the air to go out of the brakes so that the truck can roll back and roll to the top of you. That's basically what happened. That's basically what happened here. They had they camped on a hillside in the path of this big sheet of ice, which was effectively the size of and the weight of multiples loaded semi trucks. And then they cut a wall through that ice and made a little spot for their tent. In other words, it would be to say you've got multiple semi-trucks parked on a hillside, so you decide to go in and release the parking brakes, don't chalk the wheels, and then just leave those trucks that are parked on a hillside, knowing that when the air finally leaves the brake system or whatever, they're going to, their brakes are going to fail and they're going to slide down the hill. That's kind of what they did. They put themselves in a, in a situation where the only thing that could have happened did happen. And this is proven to me by the scientific research these guys did. And it just, it, I, what I like about it is, you know, it, 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 it yes, it would have been maybe more interesting if we could have proved that there were Bigfoot tracks around or there was some sort of a UFO connection. But what the authors of this paper have done is they have just gone through and they've just, they've just gone through and, and just did basic math, they did the work, and they drew the diagrams, and they recreated the situation that precipitated the death of those people. So we can see, we can look at that tent right there on the side of that hill. We can see that big, massive ice sheet as just before it slides down on top of them. And then they show us what that would do to a human body, that kind of weight at that speed, and why some people would have died and some people would have survived. And then the effect of that was they weren't able to recover their warm clothes. Well, who's, And people say, well, why were they naked? Well, why would you sleep in a tent with wet clothes on? You wouldn't. You'd have your night clothes on, which they did. Their underwear. And so when this avalanche happened, they escaped the tent. They drugged their, they drugged their wounded and dead comrades to safety. But they didn't have time. They only knew they had very few minutes left. They didn't have time to get back in there and get their own clothes, and get warm clothes on, and try to get a fire started. Very sad and tragic situation, clear back from 1959, but a really excellent job of reconstructing the scene of what happened. I definitely would take a chance to go look at this at the website, ufowarning.com. Go on the link and, uh, and read the article. It's really, uh, it's really interesting. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 